Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Wednesday, January 6th. We begin with a conversation with Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. We speak with Mercedes about the state of the Canadian economy as we move deeper into the pandemic and the latest on the ongoing politician holiday travel controversy. Are you suffering from COVID fatigue? We speak with psychologist Dr. Jody Carrington for tips on how to recognize the signs of fatigue and steps to deal with the stress of the ongoing pandemic. On the topic of mental health, we look at the results of a new survey which finds Canadians wanting increased access to psychologists and mental health resources and at a lower cost. And finally, if getting fit is your New Year's resolution, there's an app for that. We speak with a nutritionist about just how effective the digital diets are and how to choose the program that'll best fit your needs. 609 on the morning news. Uh, from asking those burning vac- uh, vaccination questions to looking back at the biggest stories of 2020, Mercedes Stevenson, Global's Ottawa Bureau Chief and the host of the West Block, joins us now. Good morning to you, Mercedes. Good morning. How are you? Happy 2021. Happy New Year. Happy 2021 to you as well. Well, I know one of the big stories you talked about this week was restarting the economy amid the pandemic, keeping things, uh, you know, floating and moving ahead, hopefully uh, raising the bar when it comes to the economy. Do you see that this continuing to be a big story heading into 2021? I do, especially because of where we're seeing the COVID-19 numbers right now and how many provinces um, are locked down or in inversions of lockdown, depending on what province you're in. The severity varies across regions, even within provinces, but uh, particularly in provinces like Ontario, Alberta, Quebec, um, and BC, I think you're going to continue to see some some measures that affect businesses. We've seen that as well in um, Manitoba, in particular, Saskatchewan. So there are stories here about people who, you know, think back a year ago um, and we didn't know how much our lives were going to change in the next couple of months. That has been particularly true for the owners of small businesses who have really struggled. There's a lot of federal and provincial support programs in place now, um, but in some cases that simply will not be enough for these businesses that have not been able to open up fully, have not been able to recover. Um, It was interesting in the fall fiscal update, the Liberals said that essentially there was a very big bounce back in the summer uh, that people went out and they saw businesses and they spent a lot of money and they were anxious to socialize in restaurants. So that helped a little bit. But if we're looking at months more of this, uh, I think there's a lot of concern that we're hearing from the business community about what that's going to mean for the basic survivability uh, of a lot of these businesses. Uh, Mercedes, I know, you know, the topic really on the weekend on the West Block was about, you know, what some of the experts think are, are going to continue to be the thing we talk most about in 2021. And I I wonder if people realized at that point, you know, just how big it was going to be about all these political leaders who were traveling over the holidays and just how how continuous this fallout was going to be day after day. Do you think that's going to continue through the year too? You know, I think that... um Anyone in politics watching this uh, who who has a couple of brain cells to rub together will realize that maybe further vacations are not uh, a good idea outside of the country. Uh, Well, we tape the show. We we tape a couple of them in advance. We do that very rarely. In fact, the only time we do it is when I'm away uh, on vacation here in Canada over Christmas. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Not uh, posted a picture of a beach and immediately had to put after it. Not on the beach now. Picture from January of 20. 20. Memories of. 
Um, but, you know, we, we taped those shows to last. We, we obviously um, did not talk about the politicians' vacations because of that. But uh, I was watching it. I was just kind of astounded by how many of these high-profile public figures left the country for places like Hawaii and Mexico. Um, we're not talking about a family emergency. We're not talking about a sick relative. We're not talking about um, a medical treatment for a rare disease that can only be done in another country. Uh, we're talking about going and sitting on a beach where you're telling everybody else not only to stay home, but not to see family members, not to socialize, to do things that are very difficult. And although there's no rule against this, um, there is certainly a recommendation and there's just a reality in public life that politicians are expected to hold themselves to at least the same standard that they're asking other people to do. Um, and so I think the anger there is very real. I think uh, that there will be stories about whether or not it looks like numbers go up after this if people start to disregard the regulations a little bit more and say, well, look, if you can go to Mexico, uh, why why can't I have a house party? Mm-hmm. Why can't I go to other places? Um, so there's a very real danger there in terms of what the fallout could be. I don't know that people will continue to do it, but I guarantee you for the next couple of weeks, certainly everyone is going to be scrutinizing very closely who did or didn't leave the country over the past year for recreational purposes. Mercedes, the other hot topic is the vaccine rollout across the nation. And I'm wondering what you learned about as far as you know, the progress we've made. But also the question that a lot of people have had is, you know, how long will we have these protocols in place with social distancing and wearing a mask even when we have uh, been vaccinated? Well, that's an interesting question that I put to uh, the doctor who we had on the show, uh, Dr. Isaac Bogach, and he'll be a familiar name and mm-hmm. face to a lot of your listeners. Um, he says you will still have to continue to wear a mask after you're vaccinated. The reason is apparently after you've had the vaccine. Oh, Mercedes. We lost We lost her. Aging Mercedes Stevenson. Hello, there Hi we there. go. There, you're back. After Sorry. you have the vaccine. My phone does not feel that it should have to come back. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, after you have the vaccine, you will still have to wear a mask. And the reason for that is that while you're protected in terms of immunity uh, for, for the vast majority of the population, there is a risk, he was saying, that you could still pass the virus to someone else, which is really interesting to me. I didn't know that, that if you're vaccinated, you could actually still carry it and transmit it without getting sick from it. So he said he foresees the mask being the reality for quite a while until you have enough people in the population vaccinated that there's not a high risk, essentially, of, of passing it on to somebody else. Uh, but that is why his advice to everybody is to get vaccinated, because even if everyone's around you has been vaccinated, that doesn't necessarily guarantee you immunity that someone won't pass it to you, including somebody who may have had a vaccination. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of folks are looking at things maybe getting back to normal in the fall, uh, but it'll all depend on the speed of that vaccine rollout. How long does the vaccine last? A lot of questions we just don't have the answers to yet because it's a brand new vaccine vaccine. So we only know about the trial period it's been used for, which obviously, unlike in the cases of most vaccine, is a number of, you know, days 
for and months versus years that it's been in experimentation uh, and in clinical trials. They've ascertained that it's safe, but we don't know all of the details yet about how long it lasts and that kind of thing. I wanted to get your take on this, Mercedes, too, uh, the announcement from Justin Trudeau this week, uh, you know, saying that Canadians who did travel abroad, as you know, continue to talk about that aspect of things, if you did come back to Canada, you're not going to be eligible for that recovery sickness benefit now where you might have been paid for your, your two weeks of, of uh, you know, sitting in quarantine once you come back from holidays. Was that a bit of a shocker? Did that come down as a, as a surprise for you? It did. I mean, I, I wasn't expecting it. I understand, um, you know, it sends a very strong message. It's saying, sure, uh, we can't stop you from leaving the country, and Canada is, is not going to become a police state that has, you know, police officers at airports telling people where they can and can't go and looking at their papers. Um, they're not going to shut down airports. Uh, there are still people who travel for, for legitimate work reasons, essential workers. There are people who travel uh, due to family emergencies. It, it does exist, but if you go away and you leave the country um, and you're going on vacation and you get COVID-19, you're not going to come back here and collect the benefit that is designed uh, to help people who have contracted the virus. Um, so I think it sends a pretty strong message about those vacations outside the country uh, and just how high risk they are and, and what the consequences could be. It's an interesting way of trying to deter it because it's pretty hard to actually stop people and the government doesn't seem to want to shut down the airlines or airports and people going out of the country, uh, but they are willing to say, look, if we find out that that's where you got sick, mm-hmm. don't think that you're going to get that sickness benefit uh, that someone who contracted it when, I don't know, they, they went to the grocery store ended up getting it. Interesting take, and uh, we'll hear more about it, just the logistics of having to police something like that. Uh, thank you so much uh, for your time this morning, Mercedes. Thanks for having me. That is Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. 8.42 on the morning news. It's been more than 10 months now since Calgarians' lives were flipped upside down due to COVID-19. With tips on how to beat the pandemic fatigue as the virus continues to upend our world, we're joined now by local psychologist Jody Carrington. Good morning to you, uh, Jody. Good morning, Andrew. How are you? Well, it's interesting. I'm glad to have you on board. I'm fine, and it, we've spoken uh, with you a couple of times over the past uh, ten months. I didn't think that when we were talking to you three months in about battling COVID <laughs> fatigue, we'd be talking to you ten months in about battling COVID fatigue. So, for uh-huh. some people, they may have been hanging in there, but now it really hit them. For other people. It, it, it's just continuing. So, so, so where do we start? Because it can be daunting. It is daunting. And I think, I, do you want me to start with the bad news first? <laughs> yeah, yeah, get it not? out of the way. Okay, so it, like now's the time we need to buckle up. So here's the issue. Um, there's a big difference when you remove the stressor and the stress response. We make a massive mistake often by thinking once we get into 2021, once we get the vaccine, once we do all of those things, we'll be okay. And it's that sort of mistake we make all the time. We're like, let's just crawl across the finish line to the holidays. Let's just, okay, we can just go here. Like, hey, let's retire. And then also like a million bucks, right? And then we <laughs> notice that so many people get sick and exhausted because there's a big difference between removing the stressor and the stress response. And so what I think is so critical right now is that it's okay if you're still tired. It's okay if you want to throw punch your partner. I mean, like, it's... Don't do it, but it's okay to feel that. It's right. It's so much about this place of we should be tired. Globally, there's been a heightened state of arousal in the middle of a 
discussions, hard, important discussions about systemic oppression, and we're still in the middle of it. And in our city, right, laying to rest a Calgary City police officer means that there is heightened emotion even in everybody who we're walking home with in, in this beautiful city of ours, right? So we should be tired. And what we do about that is, first of all, acknowledge it, because here's the problem. We try to fix it before we even say, give each other grace. Give each other empathy. Give each other the sense of like, okay, mama, deep breath. I know we're homeschooling some of us this week. Next week, we might go back in. I know, teachers, I see you. Thank you so much for Mm -hmm. what you're doing. Oh, my gosh. When you are acknowledged, you will rise. Let's talk about, uh, you know, obviously that's a big part of it is just acknowledging that it's okay to feel what we feel right now. And and, and I think that's a, a really a, a great point. And I see it too on your website, drjodycarrington.com. You've got a, a little, uh, you know, 2020 reflections there. And you talk about 2020 being a great teacher. What, what, what can we take from our teachings as we move forward? I think what we, we knew or we know a long time is that when we slow down and just acknowledge each other, when we are... So we're so much stronger together. I mean, like even when I watched what happened yesterday of, you know, the, the blue lights downtown and everybody sort of putting blue outside their house, when we are in solidarity, when we look to each other and say, you're tired, I'm tired too. Part of the issue is when we're all tired and we're seeking support, comfort, connection from other people who are also empty, they got nothing to give, it becomes really difficult and people get chippy. You understand chippy? From our hockey days too. <laughs> chippy means that when it's contagious, right? When I'm unkind and you're unkind, it doesn't make me want to be kinder. So what is our role? How do we lead from the bench in this process, wherever you're at? If you are, uh, you know, running a country, running a, a team, running a detachment, running a school, um, and you're at home with your babies, and, uh, you know, wherever you are, the job right now is to drop those shoulders, Fill those lungs full of breath and know that our biggest gift is just to look at each other in the eye. Jody, a good part. Oh, sorry. No, sorry, Andrew. It's my show. I didn't know if you uh, yeah, Absolutely. I'm making way. <laughs> Andrew, please. Don't Love interrupt, to... Jody. Come on. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to ask you. we got about 30 seconds, but could part of this be when they say take time for yourself? self-care and time to reflect we just don't even have that alone time a lot of us with families at home with people all around us at all times too oh my goodness you know we've asked for this for so long i can't tell you how many times that you know even the last year that i've just said oh i wish things would slow down oh my god if i didn't be on the road too much i'm so tired so tired now they're slowing down and we're like ah please part of that really comes with it doesn't matter where you are it's this eastern philosophical idea of how do we just drop those shoulders because it's always going to be too much, not enough, too exhausted. Why did I marry this person? Why did am I a good mom? Am I a good dad? Oh my god! Whether you're running a billion dollar company or trying to keep your family together in this moment, there is so much about this that comes back to that idea of just slowing it down. We are wired to do hard things. Whatever you have on your plate today, you're wired for it. As long as you remember this, we're wired for connection. Take that minute. If it means locking yourself in the bathroom for 36 seconds, as long as those babies are safe, drop your shoulders. If you're in work and you need to pull over in your police car, drop those shoulders. Just take a second. Because when we are regulated, we're at our best. That's where we fall in love with people. That's where we look at our kids and we're proud of them. When we are regulated, when we're dysregulated, you know you're dysregulated when your breathing is shallow, when your heart rate is high, and when you feel like you want to throw a punch people. Okay, so those are like the three big indicators. I mean, I don't think it's really like 
<laughs> in the DSM. But it's this idea that we know when we're heightened, we're not at our best self. Yeah. I'm yep. not giving it, we're running out of time. Okay, anyways, I was going to give you an example. But next time, I'll tell you about my eyelashes. We will talk to you again for sure. And it's a great reminder because my shoulders were up around my ears. So thank you for reminding right. me. Drop them down and breathe. It's great advice. Thanks for joining us, Jody. All right. Take care, guys. You too. That is Dr. Jody Carrington, drjodycarrington.com. Health concerns as the pandemic stretches on. And in a recent survey, results showed with these issues on the rise, people want better access to psychologists across the country. With more on the study, we are joined by Dr. Brent McDonald. Good morning to you, doctor. Good morning. How are you doing? Good. Thank you for taking the time with us. A large portion of Canadians responded that the cost of accessing a psychologist is one of the biggest barriers. Do you find that as a contributing factor as a psychologist? Without question. Um, You know, there's... A lot of private, practic- uh, private practitioners in Calgary, for example, who uh, are excellent psychologists, but the cost uh, for accessing services, the, the recommended rate from the Psychological Association of Alberta uh, is $200 an hour. Um, now, in many cases, of course, that's covered by um, employee health plans, that sort of thing, but in many, many cases, it's not. So there are some folks who can access that service, uh, but there's a lot of folks, obviously, who, who can't afford it uh, and try to access services through the healthcare system. The problem there, of course, is wait times. We're looking at significant uh, and pretty lengthy uh, wait times. So we have a bit of a, a situation where there's uh, a very heavy cost um, if you go privately. But ultimately, if we look at this from a systematic perspective, the benefit of having uh, psychological services far outweighs the cost um, if it's brought in a, in a private or sorry, in a public environment. You're not kidding. I mean, frankly, everybody should see a psychologist. Just, I oh, mean, you know, it gives you a place to, to, to vent and to express your feelings and to get feedback. And, and I think that most businesses do not cover it. So you're right. It is inaccessible for so many of us who really particularly now could use it. So is there any way around it, Dr. McDonald? Well, there's a couple of ways around it. And I do think it's really important, though, that we, we, take a look at the fact that, you know, we've spent a number of years, decades, really, decreasing the stigma associated with seeing a psychologist. Um, And I agree, everyone should see a psychologist. Uh, It it enhances performance. It it makes us healthier as as human beings. There are so many benefits, uh, you know, that even corporations now largely will actually provide some some services. But there is a, a strong push now, and, and this uh, study con- conducted by the Canadian Psychological Association that we're referencing suggests that um, the population wants it. You know, about 90% of people are saying we want more access to psychologists. So that suggests to me that we've gone through the whole stigma of mental health issues and, and those sorts of things. We're coming on the other side of that, but what's the point of decreasing a stigma if you can't access service? Mm-hmm. So um, ideally what we'd like to see is um, you know, uh, federal provincial governments taking up some of the slack here and saying, okay, you know what, if we want to save some money, let's invest in in our population by investing in psychological support. Government is a, is a great route to go, but also when it comes to those employer benefits that we spoke about, you know, some mm-hmm. people don't have benefits. They might be, you know, a business owner yep. or an entrepreneur themselves, but those businesses that do have, uh, you know, a benefits plan and it's a little on the lacking side, what what can people do? Because, you know, we it's very defined when it comes to the dental and, you know, mm-hmm. anything physical and, and uh, some of the doctor's visits above and beyond health care. What can we do as employees to, to up those uh, benefits? I think what we have to do is we have to start advocating on behalf of uh, ourselves as employees, as people who who, um, 
are, are part of the of these networks of, of uh, Blue Cross, Great West Life, those kinds of kinds of groups. Um, but that really starts with the employers, and I think what employers need to realize, and this is the really key point here, is that if they want to increase their their productivity, if they want to decrease absenteeism, if they want to see a, a positive change in the bottom line. If they invest a little bit in mental health, the turnover in terms of their bottom line is going to be incredibly positive. So, you know, for employees, for, for those of us who um, are entrepreneurs um, and have private, um, like I, I pay for Blue Cross, for example, that covers some psychological services. I need to um, encourage my staff, encourage uh, other employers uh, to, you know, push the um the healthcare providers to provide even more support because ultimately, you know, if you're talking about pure numbers here and pure business, um, the benefits of, mm-hmm. of having psychological supports financially far outweigh any cost. So pushing our bosses and their bosses yeah. is maybe the way to go. Well, I've never really understood it. Why are psychiatrists covered and psychologists not? What, what's the, the thinking there? Excellent question, Sue. Um, the the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist is that the latter psychiatrists have um, medical degrees, so their approach to treatment very often is a medical based approach. So they're the ones who prescribe medications and, and those sorts of things. Where a psychologist training is much more around therapy um, and providing psychological support in a way that doesn't involve pharmaceuticals. So again, there's there's another cost saving there. Um, and the wait, line, wait list for psychiatrists, as we're probably aware, is, is incredibly long, too. And not everyone's issues require medication. Right. If we want to look at you know, optimal functioning, optimal functioning would imply we don't need medication where possible. I mean, sometimes it is necessary. But for you know, problems of daily living, for just performance enhancement, psychologists are the ones who are trained in that area. I'm wondering, Dr. McDonald, you, know, you mentioned you know, uh, the word issues there. How do I know when it's just not me having a bad day that my issues are such that I should seek out professional help? For somebody listening to this who's been in a bit of a rut, perhaps Mm even, what's the indicators that we should look for in ourselves and and maybe our loved ones? Well, I I think we have to get away from the thinking that we only see psychologists when we have a problem, right? Um, Very often... You know, I, I like to think about psychology as, as a situation, a relationship that's, that's embedded in coaching, right? So if you're an athlete, for example, and you want to improve your performance, you go, go to a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. You just want to improve your performance. That's, to me, the, the, the core model of, of what psychologists can offer. Having said that, um, there are times where we may uh, rely more on, on having someone to talk to. Those will be times when we're losing sleep. Uh, we're not eating. We're finding ourselves um, not going to work because we're just we don't have the energy. We're feeling uh, very lethargic and tired and drained. Um, we're getting into arguments. We're we're irritable. And think about all those things in co- in the context of COVID. Right? All of those things are happening. We're we're struggling with sleep. We're struggling with with eating. We're struggling with uh, social interactions. We're irritable. All those things are in place. So now is the time, uh, if any, to be seeking out psychological supports. Let's talk a little bit about the polling that uh, that the, you and your organization did, asking more than 3,000 Canadians some questions about psychologists and, and getting mental health help. What were some of the numbers that surprised you? Can you give us a couple of the stats that, that you found that were really interesting? Well, what was really interesting, I'm going to go back to what I said earlier, is that we have about 90% of the population across Canada, and the numbers are pretty consistent province to province, um, who feel that uh, they would benefit from having psychological support. Um, we still have about 
45 percent of the population who would say they they would prefer to deal with their problems on their own and of course who wouldn't but uh again 90 percent of folks would say they if they had access to services they would probably access them so that that to me was really interesting because it suggests to me we've again moved past this idea that only um people with mental illness need psychological supports and then there's that whole stigma thing if we have 90 percent of the population saying you know i could benefit from this I, I don't know that we still have that uh, really negative. I mean, it, it's still there for sure, but I don't think the, the power of that stigma is there uh, as, as much as it has been in the past 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the one of the more interesting findings. Um, and then we also have folks who are saying that one of the most prohibitive factors is cost, mm-hmm. right? So if we can, again, um, sort of advocate for ourselves by you know encouraging government, provincial and federal, to uh, en- enhance psychological services, we're, we're servicing a huge population, right? And that makes us healthier, makes us um, makes us more valuable contributing members to our society, and reduces things like substance abuse, reduces things like family violence, reduces things that are that are coming at a cost too, yeah. right? So I'm, I'm looking at this both from a psychological perspective, but also from an economic perspective yeah. um, sure. in terms of what the benefits are. Some great points. We appreciate uh, you know, all your points this morning. Thank you for bringing this to our attention, Dr. McDonald. My pleasure, Andrew. That is Dr. Brent McDonald, lead psychologist for the McDonald Psychology Group here in Calgary. 909 on the morning news. A common New Year's resolution for many is to lose weight and get in shape. And with uh, so many different apps now to choose from, you may be left wondering which one works and which one will work more so for you or if they work at all. Samantha Cassidy is a nutritionist, and she joins us now to help sort through the digital clutter, if you will. Good morning to you, Samantha. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. So when it comes to to dieting, weight loss, and and overall health, uh, there's an app for that. So I'm wondering what sort of attributes we should be looking for when we're choosing a diet app. I mean, I think the most important thing is to choose from the apps that uh, align with how you want to eat, how, the time that you have, how you like to cook. So you have to find something that fits your lifestyle instead of trying to fit your lifestyle into something else. So, for example, if an app... Um, you know, is asking you to track too much or has meal plans associated with it that maybe don't match up with how you like to cook or eat, you know, those aren't going to be the best fit. For something to be to help you be successful with weight loss, you have to be able to adhere to it. So what about things, you know, where you have to be accountable, as you're saying, you know, for Weight Watchers, for example, are, are they, you know, some of the more popular ones right now? And, and really, I mean, they've been around forever. So do they, do they work or are they something that we should maybe look at? Yeah, they do work. So what the studies show is that when you do a plan like that, you can be more successful uh, losing weight compared to, let's say, if you don't do a plan like that, you know, you're just kind of winging it. Um, so it can help keep you accountable. You're, it is a good thing to have the support built in because, you know, that behavioral support um, and a, as well as some behavioral change components can be really important and effective with weight loss. Um, so those are, you know, Weight Watchers can be a really good choice. The downside of any of these programs is that if if you personally find it difficult to follow, and studies do suggest that people do because they have high dropout rates, um, then, you know, of course, it's 
it's not going to work for you. So um, it works for a lot of people, but it's not the right tool for everyone. We can break down some of the apps and maybe some of the UC as being the most effective or most popular. We'll get to that in a second. But I'm wondering, some of these apps have a, a cost attached and some of them are free. Is there a difference or can, can we use a free app and get results or, or is it, you know, you get what you pay for it. If you're not paying, you're not getting a quality app. No, you can absolutely use a free app. So when you go into sort of the, the paid programs and even a lot of the free apps have a subscription model where you can opt into that, you're just getting more bells and whistles. Maybe you're getting a, uh, a meal plan. Maybe you're uh, seeing certain metrics on your as you're tracking food. For example, maybe you'll get a breakdown of the macronutrients or the amount of fiber that you're eating. So those things often come when you start to pay. But just the act of tracking what you eat and monitoring your weight are two very uh, effective strategies for losing weight and most importantly, maintaining that weight loss. So research tells us that um, the more that you self-monitor these behaviors such as tracking and weighing are called self-monitoring behaviors. And the more you do that, the more likely it is that you will lose weight and be able to keep it off. So, Samantha, I mean, as an expert, you know, we, we just got a texter said, get fit in the gym, lose weight in the kitchen. As an expert, when you look at all these apps that are available, whether you pay or whether they're free, how do we know, you know, how do we even know that which ones are out there and which one is right for us? How do we, how do we figure that kind of stuff out? I, well, you'll have to do a Google search. Like there's not a get, one-stop you know. shopping location, I guess, is it, you know, where you can see the different ones that are available. Well, U.S. World and News Reports just put out, um, you know, their top most popular and most effective diets. So you could start there. Um, it's not all-encompassing, but it certainly will give you a good place to start. It doesn't include all the free tools. Uh, that are out there. But I think, you know, there are some important questions that you can ask yourself. Uh, for one, you know, are you looking for a meal plan? Are you looking for general advice? Are you looking to just track what you're eating? You know, how much support do you want? Um, what's the time commitment involved, whether that's planning meals, attending, you know, any sort of meetings or having a phone chat with somebody or tracking your food. You have to be realistic with those things. Um, and then also importantly, what's the cost involved? So mm -hmm. whether that's the cost of membership, but also the cost of food. So if you're doing something, let's say keto based, there may be a higher food cost because it's more meat based mm -hmm. than, you know, a flexitarian type of plan that's going to be more plant focused. So I think those are some of the things to ask yourself. Um, I think you also want to know, you know, how they support behavior change. As I said, that's a very important um, component of weight loss. For example, you know, 2020 was the year of stress eating. So if you don't understand your connection to stress eating, um, and don't develop other tools to deal with stress, it's going to be hard to maintain any weight loss mm -hmm. that you might achieve by following a meal plan or something like that. Okay, Samantha, I think that we'd like to break down, we've got about a minute left here, break down some of the most popular apps. I would assume that Weight Watchers is, is following the points within the app. The other big one we've heard a lot about is Noom, mm -hmm. N-O-O-M. If you can tell us about what Noom is and uh, some of the other apps we should know the names of. 
Yeah, Noom is um, similar to Weight Watchers in that it's a digital approach. Um, so Weight Watchers right now is mostly digital. And, uh, you know, they do have um, in-person meetings. I don't know if those are taking place during COVID, though. But Noom is an alternative. You track your food. It has some coaching built into the plan. So um, they have health coaches who check in with you periodically. It is very, it is centered in behavior modification. So there's a lot of reading that you can do on their app to understand more about why you might be driven to eat and what you can do to change those behaviors. Um, They do suggest, you know, weighing yourself and tracking that through the app. So it's a similar um, strategy as as Weight Watchers, but just another different style if if that's what you prefer. Um, And then on the free side, I really like the Lose It app, just in terms of the ease of tracking what you eat and tracking your weight. They, of course, do have um, an annual membership for extra bells and whistles, but you can certainly use that free tool. Some great suggestions. And, uh, you know, if I take one thing away from all the options that are out there is tracking your food really is key. and, And you definitely pointed that out, too. Yes. I think tracking yeah. your food is key, but really the the real key is also to focus on the quality of the foods that you're eating. So if you do nothing else this year and you want to lose weight, focus on replacing processed foods that tend to be high in sugar or high in refined grains with whole foods, um, ideally lots of plants, so lots of fruits and vegetables and fiber-rich right. foods. Excellent. Great advice. Thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Have a great one. You too. That is Samantha Cassidy, who is a food, nutrition, and wellness expert. SamanthaCassidy.com.